0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Sometime this week, Senate Republicans will vote on their health care bill meant to improve weaknesses in the Affordable Care Act. Will it, and what chances does the bill have to pass? Not all Republicans are on board just yet. Here's Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson on NBC's Meet the Press this Sunday.
1: I have a hard time believing Wisconsin
2: constituents or even myself will have enough time to properly evaluate this for me to vote for a motion to proceed. So I've been encouraging leadership, the white house anybody I can talk to you for quite some time let's not rush this process
0: coming up we'll talk to our u.s senator richard blumenthal of connecticut about the legislation and how he's leading efforts by democrats to keep the key provisions of the affordable care act from being replaced now what questions do you have for senator blumenthal you can ask him directly that's coming up we'll also hear from an economist at the brookings institution about what parts of obamacare should be fixed First, Connecticut's healthcare advocate joins us in studio to talk more about how reforms in Washington could impact us here at home. You can join the conversation. 860 275 7266 Email Where We Live at WMPR.org. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome into the studio now Ted Doolittle, again, Connecticut's healthcare advocate. Ted, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much, Lucy. Great to be here.
0: Uh, I know the office has existed for some time. For, p- for people who don't know about the Office of Healthcare Advocate, tell us about your purpose.
2: So the Office of the Healthcare Advocate was founded about uh, 15 or 16 years ago. The main purpose of it is to help Connecticut residents who are trying to access health care. We uh, assist uh, about 7,000 Connecticut residents every year. With uh, health care questions from the complex to the simple, our bread and butter case, uh, which takes a fair amount of time for our staff, is a Connecticut consumer or family who have been denied health care by their insurance company. We can help them and represent them uh, in that appeal.
0: So, when someone gets that denial letter, it doesn't mean that the, the process stops. They can call your office, and someone within the Office of Healthcare Advocate can look over the claim and see what um, pathway they have from there?
2: That's exactly right. At the bottom of each denial letter, actually, is our 800 number and our, uh, our email address to get in touch. Now, you can handle the, the, them on your own, and many consumers do. I think a lot of them, it's so complex, they uh, throw up their hands and give up. They don't know that there's a free and expert state-run service available to them.
0: So we'll try to tweet out a a link to your website so people who may have not heard about this office before know uh, where to go um, if they need some explanation or help. Health care is complicated. It was complicated before the Affordable Care Act and even more complicated now that we don't know what's going to happen in Washington. What's your reaction to the Senate bill that will be voted on this week?
2: Well, you said it was complicated before. It was, it was complicated under, under the ACA, it is. It's going to get uh, more complicated still if some version of these uh, bills pass.
0: So what are some of the, when you look at the details of the Senate bill, um, what is concerning to you?
2: Well, obviously uh, from the healthcare consumer perspective, uh, a huge portion of this is a, a defunding of Medicaid. That's uh, of great concern. The other big area is the uh, individual insurance market where people go on uh, to the Obamacare marketplace and can get uh, their own insurance currently with people with modest incomes get subsidies. Uh, A lot of that is going to go away or change
0: now you mentioned uh, consumers that get insurance through the health care exchange in connecticut's access health uh, ct a story from c hit that's just been published uh, their their lead is many consumers who obtain insurance through connecticut's health care exchange don't understand the plans they buy and they struggle to access care as a result how has your office seen that in the last few years
2: we have seen that so much uh, i got to tell you We have a dedicated full-time person to handle just the Access Health CT questions, people who have questions about uh, their applications or about uh, the subsidies they're supposed to receive or the tax credits. They uh, reach out, of course, to Access Health CT, but we also offer uh, advice and help through that complex process.
0: Since the election, again, we've heard a lot in Washington about how there's a move to repeal and replace uh, the Affordable Care Act that's become known as Obamacare. Has your office been getting a lot of questions from consumers who don't know, you know, should they even bother enrolling?
2: Well, we have. um, That's been a trickle. I anticipate that's going to ramp up substantially if uh, a bill is passed through the Senate and eventually becomes law. We already field uh, a number of questions from people, even in this relatively stable situation of the past few years, who don't understand their uh, health care options. And obviously, when there's change of the magnitude that they're talking about, that's going to create, yes, more consumer confusion and more calls to our office.
0: You mentioned that um, with Medicaid funding uh, being cut in this proposed bill before the Senate. Let's talk about that and the numbers of Connecticut residents who depend on Medicaid and who would be at risk of losing uh, services.
2: Well, uh, right now, the, uh, I don't have exactly the population, but we're talking uh, somewhere, if I recollect, uh, uh, north of 200,000 Connecticut residents. Uh, many of them are from the expansion uh, population. In other words, part of the, one of the main things that Obamacare did to, to, to increase access was to uh, raise the income level which it took to qualify for, for Medicaid and, and one, the proposals involved doing away with a big part of those expansion families. Mm.
0: Now you mentioned uh, the Medicaid expansion, so Connecticut was one of, I think, 31 states that, that did expand uh, Medicaid under uh, Obamacare, uh, but now with cuts to Medicaid, a, a lot of states are gonna wonder how to pay for this if it goes through. Uh, what's the scenario look like here in Connecticut on top of the fact that Connecticut's got some severe budget uh, issues to deal with?
2: That's exactly right, although Connecticut's budget issues, uh, it's important to note, are not driven by Medicaid. Budget issues in some other states, in fact, are, but in Connecticut, the budget uh, crisis is really driven much more by uh, the Connecticut employee and retiree pension situation. The Medicaid plan in Connecticut actually has done a terrific job over the past several years trying to moderate the growth uh, in costs. So, so we have a budget problem, but it's not a Medicaid budget problem in this state.
0: This is where we live. Uh, In studio with us is Ted Doolittle. He's Connecticut's health care advocate. If you have a question or comment, you're wondering about how your insurance will change if this uh, bill before the Senate passes this week, you can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. We'll also have uh, Connecticut's U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal in studio in just a few minutes to take your phone call, again, 860-275-7266. We talked a little bit about uh, what it was like before Obamacare, insurance is complicated Um, Ted. And I'm curious, uh, when you look at the Senate bill, um, with some of the provisions that they look to put in there, including um, lifting uh, this mandate uh, for continuous coverage, which penalizes people for leaving the insurance pool by making them pay a higher premium when they come back in, what's the consequence of scrapping that?
2: Well, the individual mandate, (coughs) excuse me, refers to the uh, obligation of folks to stay covered or else something bad happens Mm -hmm. to them. Under Obamacare, the thing that is bad that happens to you is you have to pay a $695 uh, penalty to the IRS at tax time. Under the House bill, they changed that. They said they they scrapped the individual mandate. They, in fact, didn't. The House bill changed that so that if you were not covered and you uh, came to try to get coverage, you were allowed to get coverage, but for the first year, the insurance company could charge you a 30% surcharge. So again, something bad happened to you if you tried to stay out of the system. Under the Senate bill, they've done away with that so 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 there's actually no penalty whatsoever for a healthy person to stay out, and that is gonna cause chaos. When Obamacare was built, Lucy, Uh the idea was to rely on private insurance companies to provide a huge bulk of the coverage. There was a Medicaid expansion, but everybody else was gonna be in private insurance. Now, for insurance to work, the entire population has to be in it, and they have to be in it over their lifetime. If you look, for instance, uh, to an analogous situation of uh, drivers, everybody has to have uh, driver's insurance, and and if not, uh, there's a penalty, and you can even be arrested. And to drive home the point, Lucy, if you recall, several years ago, there was a tragedy on Avon Mountain uh, where a a truck barreled down, lost the brakes, and there was a horrible accident at the end. Many people lost their lives and were injured and it was horrible. One thing you might recall from that is that also the owner of the company was charged with insurance fraud because the moment that that he found out that the truck crash had happened, he called up and insured his uninsured truck that day. Now, obviously, you chuckle because it's obvious that you can't do that. Now, much the same is the, is in healthcare. If the insurance companies have to take a patient who has just been diagnosed with cancer, they haven't had the opportunity to collect premiums from that patient during their healthy times. So, while it's not to the level of the tragedy, of course, the Avon Mountain crash, the principle is the same. <laughs> you have to have all the people. In the, in, the, in the pool for their entire life in order to fund the catastrophes when they do happen. And so if you don't have a mandate, which the Senate bill doesn't, literally the Obamacare structure relying on private insurance companies won't work.
0: This is where we live. We are hearing from a listener who called in. I just wanted to uh, read this comment to you, uh, Ted Doolittle, again, Connecticut's health care advocate. Um, he, Jody says his wife has a degenerative disease. When they get on the phone with insurance people on the other end, often they don't understand the disease. Um, how can they in- address this?
2: That is tough. Um, and that exactly is why at the Office of the Healthcare Advocate, many of our folks do have clinical backgrounds. We have nurses on staff to help, uh, to help consumers navigate those difficult, difficult uh, situations where the person administering the insurance plan might not have the clinical understanding or background to understand the care that's needed.
0: We also heard from a listener uh, who uh, tweeted at us last week. Uh, Allen is a Connecticut resident. He works a minimum wage job, and he doesn't know if Medicaid will cover him if the Senate bill passes. He also writes that he has a mental health issue, which he takes a prescription for, and he wonders if I lose my Medicaid coverage, he's going to have to stop taking his meds because he can't afford this type of coverage. What advice do you have for people who are concerned about losing coverage under uh, this plan if it goes through?
2: You know, I wish I could have reassuring words of advice, but I I don't. I have to give them cautionary words of advice. You're right to be worried. There is a risk that somebody who is in the Medicaid expansion doesn't have enough money. uh, When they get thrown into the Obamacare exchange pool, the tax credit is going to be reduced such that they're not going to be able to afford a level of coverage that doesn't have a very catastrophically high deductible. We're talking deductibles 10,000 plus range that are in the future. That's why I'm so concerned about the reform effort down in DC.
0: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today, we're taking a look at the uh, the Senate bill. Again, it's going to be voted on later this week. And in studio with us is Ted Doolittle. He's the uh, healthcare advocate for the state of Connecticut. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Um, we mentioned a little bit about the fact that without uh, healthy people enrolling in insurance plans, the system gets weighed down by people that have chronic conditions that can drive up costs. Then you're gonna see insurance come possibly trimming the amount of services that someone gets. Um, we also heard from a listener who tweeted, Obamacare already priced me out. Happy to roll the dice with literally anything else. Is that surprising to you to hear?
2: It is not surprising me to hear because lots of people under Obamacare did face uh, high deductibles. But I have a word of caution for that uh, listener, which is Buckle up, because if you didn't like your deductible under Obamacare, you're really not going to like it under the uh, Better Care Act that the Senate is considering.
0: You also spoke at a a hearing last week. uh, Ted Doolittle, Uh, Senator Blumenthal, who will be with us uh, shortly, um, held a a field hearing on health care where you uh, made some comments about when we're talking about a true reform of the health care system, part of that discussion may be the nation adopting a true single payer plan. Let's talk about that. And what do we mean when we talk about single payer?
2: Well, that's a great uh, point, Lucy. When people hear single-payer, they often think that means government-run uh, health care. Well, I- if you are a person out there who thinks Medicare for all is the way to go, I have news for you. As a, se- as a former senior executive at CMS, CMS, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the agency down in uh, Baltimore and D.C. that runs the entire Medicare and Medicaid program for the federal government, that uh, and they administer about a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. That agency has 6,000 employees. And to put it into perspective, United Healthcare has, I believe, over 200,000 employees. So right there, you can see that 6,000 employees can't administer a trillion dollars. So what they do is they hire companies called Medicare Administrative Contractors to run those companies. So Medicare for All is frankly not government-run. It's government-managed. Government it's still run by private industry.
0: One of the complaints that we hear uh, when uh, universal health care is debated is that even under Obamacare, uh, private insurers still have more authority over your health care than your doctor. How do we address that?
2: You know, if we're going to, we as a society in 2009 and 2010 made the decision to go forward using private health care companies. That was a fundamental decision that's been made. I think it was the wrong call. But I do think it can work. It can't work as well as a true uh, uh, single-payer system administered by the government, which might have private involvement, as I mentioned. But it can work. And, uh, uh, you know, the challenge is to get uh, from point A to point B. Unfortunately, I think that this focus on repealing Obamacare mm-hmm. is really a political thing and it has gotten us away from the discussion that I wanna be having, which is about the healthcare costs. It costs a lot and, and all of the problems, premiums, as well as the, the, the caller who mentioned that he was struggling already with high deductibles, those problems get better if the costs go down. And all this discussion about the payment system takes us away from the discussion I'd like to have about health care costs in this country.
0: What more could be done to lower costs for consumers?
2: Well, I I think that uh, the carriers can do more and the providers can do more as well. Um, I think there's a, as I've assumed my duty since February and I've traveled around the state, I've talked to executives at, at hospitals, I've talked to executives at insurance carriers, everybody, the hospitals, the providers, Everybody understands that there's a health care crisis uh, in this country, and I don't use the word crisis lightly. Our, our health care in our country, Lucy, costs twice what it costs in the other wealthy countries that we're competing with na- internationally, twice as much as Canada, twice as much as Australia and Japan, which offer quality care, but yet they're doing it for half the price. So I know that we can make progress. This isn't a situation where we have to... Uh, permit this to go on, but we need to work together as a community, and we need to have uh, forums where all the entire healthcare industry, be it pharma, mm-hmm. the, the big drug companies, uh, or the health insurance carriers, or the providers, all come together. All of the executives from all of those, all the leaders from all those segments understand the problem, Lucy, and want to work on it. That's why it's a shame that we're wasting our time with uh, with this debate over uh, you know, changing the way Obamacare is structured.
0: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy nall Connecticut's health care advocate is here with us, Ted Doolittle. When we come back from the break, Connecticut's U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal will join us, and we'll hear from economist Henry Aaron of the Brookings Institution. He'll talk about what provisions should be fixed in Obamacare. Now, what questions do you have about the future of health care and your insurance plan? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. You can email where we live at wmpr.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Critics of the Republican efforts to replace the Affordable Care Act say they're just attempting a repeal for repeal's sake. What should be fixed in Obamacare? Economist Henry Aaron, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution will join us in a few minutes to help answer that question. But first, what's at stake if the Senate approves the bill authored by Majority Leader Mitch McConnell? There have been reports that it doesn't have enough votes from Republicans who think the legislation doesn't go far enough to repeal key provisions of Obamacare. Meanwhile, Senate Democrats, including Connecticut's US Senator Richard Blumenthal, have been drawing attention to problems they see in the GOP bill. Senator Blumenthal joins us now in studio. Do you have a question for him about this week's vote? Or do you want to share your views on how you think Congress should act to improve your health care plan? We want want to hear from you, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Senator Blumenthal, welcome back to the show.
1: Wonderful to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm reading a quote here uh, that you said, quote, we are at the precipice of a titanic political fight over health care. What concerns you the most about this bill, Senator?
1: What concerns me most about this bill is what I've been hearing around the state in recent weeks, particularly in this last week, in the emergency field hearings held in Hartford and New Haven. Ted Doolittle participated in the one in Hartford where we listened to the stories of individual people, the moms and dads, the children, the people who are in recovery who would go without treatment as a result of the decimating cuts in Medicaid, the crippling reductions in Medicaid funding by block granting this program. We heard also about what the bill would mean in reversing the progress made against misuse of pre-existing conditions, the guarantees of essential health benefits that would be eliminated, and of course, the elimination of caps, uh, restrictions on lifetime or annual benefits. And we heard from individuals like Connor, Connor's parents, who uh, talked about how his Treatment for a rare form of muscular dystrophy would be eliminated. We heard from Maria Skinner at the McCall Center in Torrington that treats people with drug abuse problems about Sean and Frank, who were able to at least begin recovery and sometimes achieve it as a result of Medicaid funding. So I'm very concerned about the costs in human terms, but also, frankly, the costs in Money terms For Connecticut, about $1 billion. We can ill afford a $1 billion increase with the kind of fiscal situation. We have increase in costs that will also mean loss of coverage for tens of thousands of people. And the human costs, the cruel and inhumane costs in suffering and dollars are what trouble me.
0: Now, this morning, you're going to talk about some amendments you plan to offer to block provisions in the Senate Republican health care bill. Can you tell us about them?
1: I'm going to offer amendments that will seek to block this bill, very simply to block the kinds of costs that are intolerable and unacceptable. Preserve, for example, Medicaid. I'll offer an amendment that will eliminate the Medicaid cuts. I'm going to be offering amendments to guarantee that Planned Parenthood is funded. The present bill would defund Planned Parenthood, costing thousands of women in Connecticut, 60,000 women use Planned Parenthood every year at the 17 centers, eliminate their mammogram screening and so forth, so to restore funding for Planned Parenthood. And of course, the guarantees of essential health benefits that would be zeroed out under this bill, I'm going to offer amendments that would guarantee those essential health benefits.
0: We've been hearing a lot that there aren't enough Republican senators that uh, could help pass this bill, but are you worried about the deal-making that's going to be happening this week? They just need, uh, they can uh, afford to lose two uh, votes uh, to get this bill passed.
1: The Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, is the consummate deal-maker, and he's been working over the weekend. He's going to be working overtime. This week, for sure, this week will be a climactic one in this titanic struggle to preserve The Affordable Care Act and American Health Care as we know it, there are clearly ways to improve the Affordable Care Act, and we should build on it, not destroy it. And the mantra of the Republicans in the last seven years that they want to repeal the Affordable Care Act is not the best way or the most constructive way to make American health care better. There are ways to reduce the costs to have more competition and more consumer choice, to make sure that the essential health benefits are realistic, to increase subsidies so that people pay fewer deductibles and out-of-pocket costs. Uh, but. Repealing the Affordable Care Act and decimating the program are hardly the best way to do it.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit more about Medicaid because Republicans um, are focusing on uh, making cuts to Medicaid. They see the system as out of control. I wanted to to play a soundbite from Republican Senator John Thune of South Dakota speaking with NPR. He was one of the senators who worked on this health care bill. This is what he's talking about in terms of Medicaid.
3: Medicaid in this plan uh, continues to grow year over year at the rate of inflation. And yes, there are more people who are you know reaching retirement age, which obviously puts more of a, a burden on our uh, you know nursing homes and assisted living facilities. But we also have seen firsthand what states have done in coming up with innovative ideas that have saved a lot of money. And there are lots of examples out around the country where they work and partner with insurance providers and also health care providers to come up with a a way of managing care so that you bring down costs. What we're trying to accomplish is to design and tailor this program in a way that maximizes the good ideas at the state level and run this program in a more efficient way.
0: What's your response to that, Senator Blumenthal? Um, He says that the states uh, have a better idea of how to save money on this.
1: Great rhetoric, (laughs) but in practical terms, meaningless. And here's why. Two-thirds of people in nursing homes today depend on Medicaid. This bill would mean millions of them would be cut off from any support whatsoever. So I visited on Friday one of our nursing homes here in New Britain where there are about 60 beds. Think of two-thirds of them going vacant because the people who are in those beds are unable to afford it, many of them middle-class people who have exhausted their savings. And the cut of 20 to 23 million people off Medicaid would include many of our seniors. Now, uh, my colleague, Senator Thune, says that the inflation rate would continue to be in place, but that inflation rate is not the medical cost inflation rate. It's the regular inflation rate. So in our economy right now, we have less than a 2% inflation rate. But in medical costs, the inflation rate is much higher. So Medicaid would be cut, and the inflation rate, in addition, would fail to keep pace with medical costs. And what it would mean for Connecticut, if we want to continue to cover those seniors, I saw them on Friday, is hundreds of millions of dollars added to our deficit, hundreds of millions of dollars that our taxpayers would have to bear or those individuals would be cut from those homes and ultimately, we pay a lot more. So it's more costly in terms of dollars and cents as well as lives.
0: I wanted to bring into the conversation another guest. Uh, if you wanna join the conversation, 860 275 We'll get to your calls in just a few minutes. Uh, Henry Aaron is on the phone with us. He's an economist and senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. Henry, welcome to where we live.
3: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you.
0: A lot of focus on uh, saving money uh, in uh, this effort to replace uh, parts of Obamacare, Uh, Henry. uh, You wrote uh, an article for the Brookings uh, a few months ago about uh, certain things in the Affordable Care Act that actually do need to be improved. Can you talk about what isn't working?
3: Well, uh, one of the problems that exists right now, is that in a number of parts of the country insurers too few insurers are willing to sell plans uh... through the uh... affordable care act Obamacare marketplaces the uh... interesting thing here is that uh... the a major cause of this problem is the trump administration and the republican congress at the present time uh... by uh... saying as Uh, President Trump did that his administration will not enforce the requirement that people carry health insurance he confronts insurance companies with the risk that they're going to face a situation where disproportionately sick people buy coverage and healthy people wait till they're sick to buy it Uh, insurance companies know that if that is the case premiums are going to rise uh, and they can face real instability in the marketplace. That kind of a, uh, of talk really needs to stop uh, to begin with. Uh, the other point is one that uh, Senator Blumenthal raised. In a number of areas, uh, the amount of assistance that people receive uh, is insufficient uh, to enable them to afford coverage. Uh, and so some increase in assistance uh, would help more people uh, afford coverage. And here again, uh, the Republican Congress has been aggravating the situation. How? Well, under, the, under Obamacare, insurance companies are required, they're legally mandated, to cover uh, so-called cost-sharing expenses, the extra charges you pay that your insurance com- uh, plan doesn't cover Insurance uh, companies are required to pay a portion of those costs for most of the people who enroll through the Obamacare marketplaces, and the federal government is supposed to reimburse insurers for those costs. Uh, House Republicans have said uh, they don't think uh, that this should be done, that it can't be done uh, under current law. And this has created a vast amount of uncertainty for insurance companies, as a result of which many have stopped selling insurance in some areas. And more damagingly, we can look forward to very sharp premium increases next year because of the uncertainty they face. These are self-inflicted injuries uh, that could be ended immediately if uh, the administration and Congress made clear that they're not out really to sabotage the Affordable Care Act.
0: Now, you mentioned the health care exchanges and not many insurers uh, sticking with it. Uh, Ted Doolittle is in studio with us, Connecticut's health care advocate. We saw this as well in Connecticut's health exchange. How many insurers are now in the market?
2: Right now, there's two. Uh, we have Connecticut and we have Anthem as well. So uh, we have seen a, a, a drop off. I do think we can move forward if we get rid of some of that uh, instability and insecurity that... Uh, Mr. Aaron was just speaking about.
1: And you know, this insecurity and instability has a direct effect on Connecticut right now in real time. Mr. Aaron's point about the increases in premiums just look at the applications that have been made by those two insurers for 33 percent increases in premium costs. Outrageous. And I'm going to be submitting comments opposing those premium increases. I realize I'm no longer Attorney General. So maybe I don't have a formal role, but I really believe that these premium increases take advantage of the uncertainty and instability that puts consumers at real risk. So this point about the ongoing sabotage of the system by the Trump administration and the Republican leadership in Congress is very well taken.
0: Now, Senator Blumenthal, we did get a tweet from a listener earlier in the show. I had uh, Ted Doolittle address this, but uh, someone tweeted to us that Obamacare already priced me out, happy to roll the dice with literally anything else. How do you respond to that consumer uh, comment about feeling like that insurance plan didn't work for him either?
1: We began this conversation by acknowledging that uh, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, as it's uh, very commonly known, is far from perfect. No major social program has ever been perfect in its first iteration. And when we have sought to improve it by increasing choice for consumers, by eliminating regulatory barriers, by lowering the costs of medical care, particularly pharmaceutical drugs, we've been blocked by Republicans who have said 60, 70 times, the only way to improve the Affordable Care Act is to repeal it. So my heart and my voice go out to that individual patient, regard him or her as a patient or consumer, and to say, we can improve it if we sit down together and we work together on a bipartisan basis and make the kinds of changes that are suggested by Mr. Aaron, by other experts who know about this program and have offered some constructive solutions, Social Security, Medicare, All of the major social reforms in this country have required these kinds of reforms and changes as they go along, as we learn from experience.
0: This is where we live today. We're getting reaction to the Senate health care bill, a votes expected uh, later this week. On the phone with us is an economist, uh, Henry Aaron from the Brookings Institution and Studio, Connecticut's health care advocate, Ted Doolittle, and Connecticut's U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Uh, John's calling from Mansfield. John, you're on the show.
3: Thank you very much for taking my call, and thank you, Senator, for your good work. I encourage you to keep up the good fight. Thank you. Uh, thank you question I had was to briefly share the origins of the health care plan that Congress has and how that got started and has it been proposed that a solution could be to apply the health care system that you folks have which is apparently pretty generous and that would continue after you finish your service formally why couldn't that become a single-payer system for the whole nation to share along with Congress
1: uh, great question John uh, let me to say, looking down the road, you've really asked two questions. Let me take the second first. My ultimate solution is not to expand Congress's health care plan, but to expand the one I'm on, which is Medicare, and make it applicable first to lower age groups, for example, take it down to age 55, and then expand it for everyone. Uh, In effect, a single-payer system, it would have additional costs. We need to learn how to address those costs by reducing the cost of medical care. But your basic point is correct, to expand at least the system that works now, call it Medicare, call it whatever program, and make it, in effect, a single-payer system. Second point, uh, first part of your question, how do we get to where we are? Well, it's a tangled, complex history, but the most recent episode involves a secret process conducted behind closed doors by the Republican leadership, Mitch McConnell, and 13, maybe not coincidental, 13 men who proposed to defund Planned Parenthood. What a surprise. And so we are fighting this proposal that was unveiled literally last Thursday, still has received no score from the Congressional Budget Office. That's a procedural step that must be taken and will probably be voted this week. In fact, almost certainly this week. And Mitch McConnell has been very resolute about his intention of uh, seeking passage, threading the needle, uh, and cajoling as many of his fellow Republicans as possible because he will depend on all those Republicans. We have been very firm as the Democratic group caucus, as we're known, to be against it. And both I and my colleague, Chris Murphy, have been working very strenuously to oppose it.
0: Ted Doolittle, uh, can you comment on Senator Blumenthal's uh, suggestion in terms of Medicare? You worked, again, at cen- Centers for Medicare and Medicaid um, in terms of would this be something that could likely happen?
2: It certainly could work. Whether it could happen, I'll leave that mm-hmm. to the, uh, the the politicians. I do think it could work. Uh, in, a, in further... Uh, answer to John's question, I would like to point out that while a federal solution is best, and that's that's what Dick Blumenthal can address for us this morning. While a federal solution is best, the state is looking at what options we have, and uh, in this regard, my office, the office of the healthcare advocate, strongly supports the initiative by Comptroller Kevin Lembo to add a public option. Uh, What that looks like is up for grabs, but that could involve something like what John is talking about, which is an expansion of the large programs that exist at the state level, and those two large programs are either Medicaid or the state employee and retiree uh, benefits program.
0: Uh, Sydney's calling from Hamden. Sydney, you're on the show.
4: Thank you very much. I would like to hear more discussion of the effects, which I think will be disastrous, um, even though pe- those people who are comfortably off and rich, I haven't. I don't think the CBO ever does things like estimate how many hospitals will be driven out of business, or the effect on the uh, larger hospitals, which presumably will be able to stay open, but they will lose money, they will lose staff, and a weekend, a Saturday night in the emergency room will be bedlam. And if you, I don't care how rich you are, if you have something that happens to you, a sudden heart attack, say, and you come into one of these chaotic emergency rooms where kids with high temperatures and people whose diabetes has acted up because they couldn't afford their medication are mobbing the place, you're not going to be in very good shape.
1: Let me try to address that real quickly, and then I'll leave uh, the experts, Ted Doolittle and Mr. Aarons, to provide a, a better answer. You know, uh, absolutely right. You may be able to afford medical care today, but when you're in a nursing home and you've exhausted all your savings, not so much. So that kind of long-lasting effect is truly a disaster. And here's a statistic that everybody in Connecticut should remember. I heard it just on Friday from uh, one of the experts. In the next about 67 years, the number of people in Connecticut over 65 will increase by more than 50%. Think of it for a moment. Over the next several years, I think it's by in the next six years, the number of people over 65 will increase by 51%. That is a massive challenge for Connecticut. And many of those people may be doing fine just now economically. They may be going about their business but in the next 10 years, we will see that burden increase for their families and ultimately for us. Second point, emergency rooms, absolutely right. How can hospitals deal with um, the emergency room burden that will come to them for all of the uninsured, the kids who show up there? And talk about kids, how will families deal with young kids like Connor who has muscular dystrophy, his health care costs about $54,000 a year. That family may have been doing just fine six, seven years ago, but now they are hit with this burden. You know, there's an old saying, if you don't have your health, you have nothing, or maybe it's the other way around. Uh, If you have your health, you have everything, and you don't appreciate what it is to be without it until something happens, and that's true financially as well as in human terms.
0: I want to turn back to The Economist on the line with us, Henry Aaron from the Brookings Institution. Henry, we didn't talk about the economic impact of the Senate uh, health care bill that will be voted on this week. In terms of um, you know, the aim is to reduce spending, but the majority um, is also being transitioned to uh, tax cuts for the wealthy. Can you talk about that?
3: Yes, I can. Um, on the one hand, there are proposed drastic and uh, cuts in Medicaid in the Senate bill. And those cuts grow progressively more severe over time for the reasons that the Senator mentioned earlier. The adjustment in federal payments is only adequate to uh, raise Medicaid payments in pace with general inflation, which is to say not at all in real terms. Meanwhile, health care continues to get more costly so that Medicaid covers less and less and federal payments for it grow less and less. Uh, Over the next 10 years, uh, we know that the Senate bill as far as tax cut proposals is identical to the House bill, and the Congressional Budget Office has already priced those out. Over the next 10 years, there would be about $600 billion in tax cuts, the overwhelming majority of which would flow to individuals who – make more than two hundred thousand dollars a year and couples that make more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for the top 10th of one percent of taxpayers in the country the average tax cut from this bill would be two hundred thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. now uh this is uh, really in many ways in my view grotesque cutting significantly the access to health care for the neediest people in the, our nation, those who are eligible to receive Medicaid, and using those funds to provide very large tax cuts to the portion of the U.S. population that has enjoyed most of the economic growth in recent decades. I'm really at a loss to find an adjective to describe uh, that sort of a switch.
1: Grotesque is a pretty good one. Uh, But let me just add, because I want to repeat something that was said in one of our hearings. One of the people who came forward in in our hearing on Friday in New Haven said, this is not a health care bill. It's a wealth care bill. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, health care is a misnomer. This bill is a massive tax cut. That's the way to see this bill. It's a tax cut for the wealthy and it takes money 600 to 800 billion dollars away from Medicaid to pay for that tax cut
0: senator Blumenthal we've got a number of callers on the line so I want to ask you to stick with us as we head to break when we come back we're gonna take your phone calls and your comments about again this Senate health care bill before a vote uh, this week this is where we live <music> This is where we live. I'm Lucy nall Today, we're reflecting on the Senate health care bill before a vote uh, uh, this week. Uh, In studio with us is Connecticut's U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal, also Connecticut's health care advocate Ted Doolittle, an economist on the line from the Brookings Institution, Henry Aaron. We wanted to take some more uh, phone calls now. Jeff's calling from West Hartford. Oh, I guess Jeff is uh, not there. Uh, Let's go to uh, Richard from Southbury. Richard, you're on the line.
3: Hi. um, I'm 72 years old and I'm receiving uh, the uh, Connecticut care, the uh, medical Medicaid, I guess. And I was just recently diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer and uh, my uh, radiation and other treatments should extend through until, you know, toward the end of this year. And I'm just wondering if these bills are passed uh, or these changes are made um, to, you know, the programs you're discussing. Uh, would that uh, significantly uh, affect Connecticut Connect? Uh, to what extent, and how soon would it, uh, you know, take place? Where I might lose the uh, the benefits that I need from Connecticut Connect?
0: All right, Richard. Thank you for your your questions. The healthcare advocate is here to help you answer this.
2: Well, thanks, Richard, for your question. And first, uh, let me let me uh, you know. Uh, uh, state my solidarity with you as, as you enter the struggle with uh, prostate cancer. And I'm a cancer survivor myself, so uh, g- good luck on that, Richard. Um, I guess the good news is that uh, in terms of 2018, you shouldn't see much of a change. Now, I don't know the specifics of your insurance uh, situation, and I would definitely urge you, if you have any questions along these lines, this is the exact type of, uh, of, of, of Information that we like to work with uh, Connecticut citizens to to get to them. So you should call uh, the Connecticut Healthcare Advocate and talk to one of our nurses or attorneys uh, to get specifics about your specific uh, health insurance situation.
0: We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Rebecca is calling from Manchester. Rebecca, you're on the show.
5: Hi. Good morning. Um, so. My husband and I, um, we were um, personally responsible. Um, We tried to be before we had children. Um, We had good jobs, private health insurance, um, and nothing can prepare you to um, have a child born with a rare genetic disorder. Um, This is a spontaneous thing. Um, There was nothing that could prepare us for this. Um, So we um, do have good private insurance, um, but her medical care costs were still exorbitant with, um, our private health insurance. They cost um, they were our number one um, financial cost each month. Um, in the state of Connecticut, um, there and nationwide there is a program for children such as um, our daughter called the Katie Beckett Waiver program. It, it waives the parents' um, income to allow children such as my daughter to receive Medicaid um, through the state. So in other states, Rebecca, we're almost out of time. Could you
0: uh, just uh, state your question about the waiver that
5: you have? Sure. Um, so I, my question is, considering what's going on um, and with the scalebacks that could be going on, and that in the state um, it takes uh, five to, to six years already to receive Medicaid for on the Katie Beckett waiver, um, what is being planned to be done um, to help children who need who are in need of Medicare? Thank you, Rebecca. Medicaid.
2: Well, Rebecca, uh, my heart goes out to you as you struggle with this, uh, w- with your daughter. The uh, plans uh, in terms of what's going to be available and change uh, are very much in flux. We have to find out exactly what is passed in, in Washington, D.C. If nothing is passed, uh, then that would be the, probably the best outcome for you and your family at this point. Um, but uh, but again, if you develop questions about this, you should call the office of the healthcare advocate to get some personal coaching.
0: I wanna thank Ted Doolittle for being here. He's Connecticut's healthcare advocate. I wanted to go back to Senator Blumenthal for the last word. Again, this uh, bill will be voted on this week. You're gonna offer up some amendments to, sit, to block what you say are some very troubling provisions in uh, this uh, replacement uh, bill. Is compromise, is that possible in Washington? to reform health care, to improve where Obamacare left off?
1: For the six years that I have been in Washington, I have hoped devoutly for compromise on the Affordable Care Act, to improve it, not decimate it. And I still hope it will be possible if we can surmount this challenge and defeat this Republican grotesque, really outrageous proposal that would decimate health care coverage for Millions and millions of Americans, hundreds of thousands in Connecticut, at huge financial costs and cruel costs in terms of suffering. So I think compromise should be possible if we can show the Republicans that we will can defeat it.
0: Senator Blumenthal, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Also, thanks to Henry Aaron, the Bruce and Virginia McLaurie Senior Fellow in the Economic Study Program at the Brookings Institution. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, Henry.
3: Thank you very much for having
0: me. Today's show is produced by Jeff Tyson. A special thanks to Lydia Brown and our intern, Carmen. I'm Lucy Nalpithanchel. Thanks for listening.